You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. When I was a boy, my father gave me one of these for my eighth birthday. It's a far salamander. They may look like lizards, but in fact they're not reptiles. They're amphibians with moist skins. For centuries, mythical stories surrounded these creatures. It was believed that they were icy cold animals that could dwell within fires unharmed by the heat. Although their fire surviving powers may be untrue, the salamander nonetheless possesses a real natural ability that is just as extraordinary. Well, hello and welcome back to the Varmints Podcast, where every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. My name is Paul. I am not an animal expert. I'm Donna, and I am certainly not an animal expert. And today we are going to talk about really interesting little critters, sallies and newts, salamanders and newts. But first, the news. This is Varmin's Headline News with your anchorman, some guy named Paul. Thank you, Matthew. You know, Donna, it is never easier to appreciate the appeal of consumerism than while shopping online after a few drinks. (laughs) Okay. This story via the South China Morning Post is of a man who was shopping online while under the influence, and he soon became the proud owner of a pig, a peacock, and a giant salamander, unbeknownst to his sober self. Uh Uh-oh. These very sensible purchases were made on Singles Day, which is a 24-hour event in China that is similar to Black Friday and Cyber Monday in the United States, but it's way bigger. Right. When the man discovered what he had done, he, of course, shared it on social media. He wrote, Early in the morning yesterday while I was drunk, I clicked into Taobao and started shopping. All along, I thought I'd only bought two sets of clothes. I suddenly remembered to check if the clothes I bought had been shipped and realized I had also bought a pig and a peacock. (laughs) In another post, he explained that he'd used the website JD.com to order a giant salamander separately. And, of course, he provided screenshots of the orders of the animals. He paid the equivalent of $40 US for the extremely adorable Thai mini pig, as it was advertised, $56 for the blue peacock, and $41 for the roughly 3-kilogram salamander. Oh, dear. We don't know what became of the animals, but JD.com, which is pretty much like Amazon in China, explained that the giant salamander does not fall under its seven-day return policy. Oh my gosh. Let this be a lesson to you if you have a few drinks and get online. Oh, that's really terrible. Now I'm really worried about the animals. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Poor giant Sally. Maybe he ate them. Oh my god. Actually, I think they do eat some of the giant salamanders. They shouldn't because they're endangered, but uh, you know how it is. Well, hopefully they went to a zoo. Yeah, hopefully. The tiny mini pig, he might just decide, I'll just keep him. I mean, at least there's a lot of people that have those pigs. Yeah. They're not that many, by the way. <laughs> well, and, and and if he can't keep it, that's that's bacon for sure, right? I doubt it. He'll probably just adopt it out to somebody. <laughs> I mean, they're pretty commonly held pets these days. I mean, 
they're not the size of a livestock pig, but they're still pretty big. So yeah, yeah. I have a friend that has one, a mini pig. Yeah, but you know what yeah. I mean. Like livestock pigs are like, oh my god, those are so big. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the little mini pigs aren't that aren't that big. So yeah, he, right. pro- he could probably find places to rehome them. But the salamander, I imagine that I probably have to go to a rescue organization. If, yeah, and I know there well, are some out there. So yep. Yeah. All right, with that, let's go ahead and give you guys a reminder to go to BlazingCaribouStudios.com for links to our audio and our show notes for today's episode. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at at Podcast, all one word, and at VarmansPodcastGmail.com for questions, comments, stories, and suggestions. I run a Pinterest board for every episode, and if you go over there and put Varmints, you'll find us, Varmints Podcast. And uh, the link to that's at the bottom of every show notes. Also, if you want Varmints merchandise, go over to tpublic.com and put Varmints into their search engine. You get all sorts of wonderful stuff. Cups and mugs and t-shirts and all sorts of stuff. Amazing. If you like the show, why not tell a friend about us and introduce them to the podcast. We're everywhere podcasts are found, and word of mouth is the best way to help us grow. We want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters, Christy, Clay, Christine, Katie, Nikki, and Adrienne, thank you guys so much for supporting the podcast. If you want to support the podcast at any level, you get cool stuff. And yeah. that's at patreon.com slash varmints. Up to and including promoting your thing, promoting your show, promoting your band, promoting whatever you want us to promote. We can do that for you. Patreon.com slash varmints. Go check it out. And now, let's learn about salamanders. Yay! Hey, Ah. let's go get educated on some animals. I know you want (laughs) to. So we are learning about salamanders today. Because of their slender bodies and long tails, salamanders look somewhat like lizards and people often confuse the two. But lizards are reptiles, whereas salamanders are amphibians, just like frogs and toads. Lizards have scales and claws, but salamanders do not. Lizards typically have dry skin, but most salamanders stay moist, and many of them use their wet skin as a surface through which to breathe. There are about 600 species of salamander. This includes newts, mud puppies, sirens, and congo eels. Those are all species of salamander. It also includes the reticulated siren, which was just discovered about a week ago. Yep. Pretty cool. And if you want to learn more about the reticulated siren, the whole, you know, the hows and whys and wheres about where it was discovered, go listen to the Strange Animals podcast. They just did an episode about them. It was really cool. Most salamanders live in the Northern Hemisphere, mostly in North and Central America and Europe. Salamanders range in size from the minute salamanders, which are, with a total length of 2.7 centimeters or about a little over one inch, including the tail, to the giant Chinese salamander, which reaches 1.8 meters or about 6 feet long and weighs up to 65 kilograms or 143 pounds. Most, however, are between 10 and 20 centimeters, which is between 4 and 8 inches long. A baby salamander starts out as a larva and then becomes a salamander. And a group of salamanders is called a herd or a congress. The word salamander comes from the Middle English salamander, which comes from Anglo-Norman salamander. Latin and Greek also had similar words, 
that meant salamander, pretty much. I like that all newts are sallies, but not all sallies are newts. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, I'm going to talk about the giant salamander. This is a family of fully aquatic salamanders, commonly known as the giant salamander. The single species, the hellbender, lives in the United States in the eastern part, while Asian species occur in China and Japan. And as we just heard, a new one in Florida that we didn't know about. So I guess it would be two in the United States. They are the largest living amphibians known today. The Japanese giant salamander reaches up to 1.44 meters. That's 4.7 feet in length. 4.7 feet. I am 5 feet tall. So that means this salamander is just a little bit shorter than me from top to tail. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it feeds at night on fish and crustaceans and has been known to live for more than 50 years in captivity. The Chinese giant salamander can reach a length of 1.8 meters, 5.9 feet, so just short of Cotton Shorts' height. (laughs) Wow. By a few inches. That's a six-foot man, right? A six-foot salamander. That's crazy crazy time that's a big big amphibian they are bigger what amphibian they are the largest salamanders they have large folds of skin along their flanks and these help increase their surface area which allows them to absorb more oxygen from the water they have four toes on the forelimbs and five on the hind limbs their metamorphosis from the larval stage is incomplete so the adults retain gill slits though they also have lungs, and they lack eyelids. They have bad eyesight. In Japan, natural habitats are threatened by dam building. So one of the solutions that's been used in the last few years to help uh, mitigate this problem is they're adding ramps and staircases to some of the dams to allow the salamanders to move upstream to their spawning places. And I found a pretty good video about that online, so if I can find it again, I'll put it in the show notes. Pretty pretty neat. Cool. Uh, the Chinese giant salamander eats aquatic insects, fish, frogs, crabs, and shrimp, and they hunt mainly at night. As they have poor eyesight, they use sensory nodes on their heads and bodies to detect minute changes in the water pressure, enabling them to find their prey. That is really, really cool. Okay, we're going to talk about giant salamander mating briefly. We're not going to get graphic, but if you haven't had the conversation with your rugrats, you probably better do it before you listen to this bit. (laughs) If not, you want to just hop forward a little bit, and then, and then you'll be we'll be done. So, giant salamanders during mating season travel upstream, where the female lays two strings of over two hundred eggs each, and then the male fertilizes the eggs externally by releasing his sperm onto them, and then guards them for at least three months until they hatch. And at this point, the larvae live off of their noticeable stored fat until they're ready to hunt, and then. Once they're ready, they hunt as a group rather than individually. Can you imagine all these little larva guys uh, wow. hunting together? Let's go! <laughs> <laughs> Scientists at Hiroshima City Asa Zoological Park in Japan have recently discovered that the male salamander will spawn with more than one female in his den. On occasion, the male den master will also allow a second male into the den, but they don't know why this is. 
pretty cool. Very cool. They are so cool. They're like giant, weird looking. They're like one of those animals that doesn't look like it belongs on this planet. (laughs) (laughs) Just a weird alien. Another really cool salamander is the axolotl. People love axolotls. We get asked to do an episode on them now and then, but there's just not enough to do a whole episode on one specific salamander. Yep. They are endemic to one specific lake in Mexico, which is Lake Xochimilco. The axolotl was believed by the ancient Aztecs to be the embodiment of Xolotl, which was a dog-headed god from Aztec mythology. This deity would lead the souls of the dead to the underworld, and as with all mythology, there's a lot of mixed accounts about what happened next, but some believe that Xolotl was fearful of being killed and transformed into an axolotl to hide. And the word axolotl is Aztec for water dog. Now, why am I pronouncing that word like that? It's an A-X in the front of the word, and that's pronounced like an S-H in the Aztec language. So they're called axolotls, not axolotls. White axolotls are the ones people tend to fall in love with and that they want to have those as a pet. Wild axolotls are normally greenish-brown or black. All axolotls and many salamanders have really, really cool little feathery things coming out of the sides of their bodies. One, that makes them look fabulous, and two, those are external gills, and that is one of four ways that axolotls breathe. At the same time, they are using their skin and a membrane near the back of their throat to breathe. If the oxygen levels in the water are low, it's no problem. Axolotls also have lungs. So they'll swim to the surface, they'll grab an air bubble, and then they'll burp it out. (laughs) Axolotls are neotonic, which basically means that they reach sexual maturity without undergoing metamorphosis like other amphibians. So they always look like baby axolotls Mm -hmm. with a cute little smile on their face. They do have a cute little face. Axolotls are amazing at regeneration. They can regrow not just arms and legs, but spinal cords, organs, and even brains without any scar tissue at all. Humans don't really have the necessary genes to go that far, but what scientists might learn could eventually lead to new methods for treating wounds and regeneration of simple tissues. But they can't study them if there's nothing to study. Because of the usual suspects, pollution, habitat loss, and the introduction of non-native fish, wild axolotls were thought to have been extinct in 2015. Right. And somebody found one wild axolotl. And then they found a, a very, 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 very small breeding population in Lake Xochimilco, where they live. And so scientists were able to continue studying them. Right. So you might be asking yourself, The white axolotls are already in labs and pet stores all over the place. Why is it so important to save this little lake and save the axolotls that are in it? How can you or I keep a pet at home that is critically endangered? Well, the white ones that are kept as pets are known as leukistic. These axolotls are descended from a mutant male that was shipped to Paris in 1863... And then they were specially bred to be white with black eyes. That's why they're not albinos, they're leukistic, because albinos generally have red eyes. Right. Captive axolotls that are white are inbred, which is good for science because it's much more likely to facilitate reproducible studies. However, to give these white axolotls some genetic diversity, they were crossbred with tiger salamanders. Oh, okay. Yeah, the genomes of the captive axolotls are different from wild axolotls. It's a, com- it's a completely different animal, essentially. 
One scientist said that the difference between pet axolotls and wild axolotls is like the difference between dogs and wolves. Oh, okay. Researchers are trying to sequence the wild axolotl's genome, but because of the small population and the size of the genome, they might lose the groundwork for many of the studies that use the wild axolotl's unique molecular toolbox. Right. So the little slimy things in this world are just important as the cute furry things. Yes. Pet axolotls are great. They're easy to take care of. Hopefully they're a good start for education about wild axolotls, which could possibly change our medical treatment. Oh, that is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Disclaimer time. The Vomits Podcast knows it's not fair to compare animal intelligence to human intelligence. But then, Donna and Paul only have the yardstick of themselves, so they're going to do it anyway. I saw nothing indicating that any salamander was very smart at all. Nah, they, they don't need to be, though. They don't have any novel problems to solve. They just gotta catch food and, ha- and get air and reproduce. That's it. Catch food, yep. Make little little salamanders. Can make little salamanders. <laughs> Did you give them anything on our dumb little arbitrary intelligence scale? Eh, you know, two or three. Something two? Like that. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. Good enough. Yeah. <laughs> Probably two. They're probably a two, right? One or two. I mean, I think I'm being generous giving them a two, but... Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter. They're never going to be asked to solve any major problems. I mean, it's not like (laughs) anybody's going up to a salamander and going, Where we have some really big problems in the world, Mr. Salamander. Help us. (laughs) Well, it's probably a good thing, too, because those giant salamanders are... They're giant. Yeah. As their name suggests, they are giant and freaky-deaky. They are freaky, but I really like them. <laughs> no, they're really cool. Well, we are going to talk about one salamander in pop culture and a few other things, but we're going to do that right after this. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Just for the <laughs> Fried in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. What's up, home trees? It's me, Chris. And Corey. And Donnie. From the More Gooder Than Podcast. For each episode, the three of us pick a thematically similar movie. Like Dances with Wolves, The Last Samurai, and Avatar. Or Deep Impact, Armageddon, and Space Cowboys. And then duke it out until one movie is crowned most goodest. Three movies into, one movie leaves. Ironically, Thunderdome was not the winner when we tackled the Mad Max trilogy. You know why, right? I, oh, yeah. We don't need another hero! Hey, uh, where can people find more good of them? You can find us on Twitter at MGT Podcast, our website, mgtpodcast.com, and on Instagram and Facebook at more good or them. We're in iTunes slash Apple Podcast. You can find us on Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, and any other podcatcher that you can think of. Remember, it's not just good, it's more good or then. Well, this here's Animal Rancher and Expert at Large, Cotton Shorts. 
You know Paul and Don are just a couple of nerds like you, and they don't usually get to see animals in the wild, but so we'll talk about them where they usually do get to see them, which is to say on popular culture, books, movies, television, and video games. So this week I took the one obvious <laughs> salamander pop culture reference that we could we could find. Yeah. It's pretty pretty much a pop culture desert when it comes to salamanders and newts. Well, they can't live without lots of water, so. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so um Charmander. Charmander is what I'm going to talk about. Charmander. Charmander is a Pokemon species in Nintendo's Pokemon franchise. It first appeared in the video games Pokemon Red and Blue, both for the Nintendo Game Boy in 1996. It was created as one of the first Pokemon and is a starter Pokemon that the player can choose from the very beginning of the game. Charmander evolves into Charmeleon, who then evolves into Charizard. And since the release of Pokemon X and Y, Charizard can further evolve into Mega Charizard. In Japan, Charizard is called Hitokage. Nintendo decided to give the various Pokemon species clever and descriptive names related to their appearance or features for Western audiences so that the characters could be more relatable to kids. As a result, Charmander is a combination of char meaning burnt and salamander. So why is burnt part of that? Well, different Pokemon have different types, which determines the types of attacks that they can use. So you have water types and rock types and ground types. Charmander is a fire type. The end of a Charmander's tail is on fire, and the size of the flame is kind of an indicator of its physical health and its emotional state. If the flame ever goes out on a Charmander, that Charmander is dead. Charmander has appeared in so many Pokemon-related video games, anime, manga, toys, and collectibles that I could be here all day listing them all. His popularity depends on who you talk to. Charmander is generally considered to be a very weak starting character, but as it evolves, it becomes one of the strongest and coolest looking Pokemon in the whole game. A while back there was a running gag on live streaming uh, like Twitch and that kind of thing where you watch people play video games. Every time you mention the name Charmander they would play this song. Okay, you get the idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Charmander, that was it. Charmander. Oh, you got to keep playing the song the more you say it. <laughs> Charmander! Okay. I didn't say it. I did. <laughs> oh, silly. Oh, my goodness. All right, well, I'm going to talk about, since it is a pop culture desert... Um, I will talk about salamanders, sort of in culture. How's that? Right? Sure. The yeah. Salamander, the mythical beast. Okay. Burr, 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 burr. Salamanders have had a significant place in the folklore and mythology of many different countries around the world. They've been attributed with fantastic powers that give them a place in mythology, alchemy, heraldry, and popular culture. And... That's kind of surprising because it's a really small, kind of humble little critter. 
A real salamander is very different to the one of legend, so how did it come to be given attributes that make it a popular emblem on coats of arms for royalty, nobility, insurers, local authorities, and many other organizations? Huh, I don't know. <laughs> so real salamanders are found in several parts of the world, as we just talked about, and they are amphibians, not reptiles, though they look like lizards, and they are not related to them. And... I think a lot of people mistaked them for lizard types for a really long time. So Aristotle and Pliny the Elder associated salamanders with fire for some reason. And it is fire that is the most fantastic powers that they have. People thought that salamanders were born or created from fire. And why they would think this is a mystery to me because they are obviously a water creature. Like obviously, 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 obviously. obviously. How, Aristotle... Would you come anywhere near thinking these guys are fire? We do not understand. <laughs> kind of like it's it's kind of like Charmander. I know. <laughs> I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. <laughs> Most of the popular myths are believed to originate from the European species, the fire salamander, Salamandra salamandra, which hibernates in hollow, decaying logs of wood during the winter months. With the wood being the main fuel in ancient times, this might explain their sudden appearance amid flames when a fire is lit or replenished with a salamander inside. Okay, that's fine, but it still doesn't explain how Aristotle did it. So, woken abruptly from hibernation or sleep, their natural reaction would be to make a quick escape, or um, and giving the mistaken appearance that they were born or generated from the fire or flame. I always th think about stuff like that and go, I don't know, that seems pretty obvious to me. I'm not sure. I think people sometimes just made this stuff up because it was fun. <laughs> and there was yeah, no television. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of the Elder believed that the salamander had such a cold body it could extinguish any fire. And uh, there was also a belief that the skin and other parts and, and extracts of the salamander gave protection from fire. Early travelers to China claimed that they'd been shown clothing reputedly woven from salamander hair, which they do not have, that has been deliberately placed in a fire and came out unscathed. Hmm. Today, many people think they were shown clothing made from asbestos fibers. <laughs> oh, man. In, in fact, though, their skin is different from reptiles. They are no more fireproof than any other creature. Right. Which seems like <laughs> another thing that would be obvious, so... Some of these yeah. things just have to be kind of just for fun. Uh, the poisonous salamander of myth. The salamander was also reputed to be so toxic that if it entwined itself around a fruit tree and then the fruits became poisonous to all who would eat them. The saliva oh. was thought to cause the hair of a person to fall from their body if it made contact with human skin. And if a salamander got into a well, the well water would be poisoned and undrinkable. Many species of salamanders do secrete a toxic substance from their bodies when they're threatened, but the toxicity of the substance was greatly exaggerated. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the 16th century, alchemist Paracelsus is generally credited with the first mentioning of the concept of elementals. These were the air, sylph, the earth, gnome, the fire, salamander, and water, undine. 
His association of fire to the salamander also helped to perpetuate and exaggerate the myths about the creature. Elementals were creatures or spirits in harmony with or made from the elements of the earth. Earth, air, fire, and water. Right. Salamanders were used as symbols in heraldry, representing mastery of passion, passing through the fires unblemished. They represent the virtues of courage, loyalty, chastity, virginity, impartiality. They are symbolic of Jesus, who baptized with the fire of the Holy Spirit, the Virgin Mary, and the devotion of Christians who keep the faith. That seems really random to me. Doesn't it to you? Like, salamander, Jesus, those are the same. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still stuck on the whole, this cold, slimy little wet thing is somehow fireproof yeah i don't it's all so interesting it's like what where are you okay all right medieval people (laughs) whatever (laughs) a salamander was the icon that king francis the first of france chose for his own sign and the motto nutrisco et extinguo i nourish and i extinguish the good fire the passion and belief in jesus is nourished the bad fire temptation and evil are overcome the salamander appears on the coat of arms of many royal and noble families in Europe and also that of many towns, local authorities, and institutions. Their exaggerated fire-protective attributes encouraged many insurance companies and organizations of the past and the present to include a salamander as an emblem in their coat of arms. <coughs> Isn't that strange? That's just... It's so weird. But anyway, so I've, I've found a page of examples of heraldry with salamanders as a um, part of their heraldry and it is amazing to look at it's just really really cool but don't they look like I don't know like tiny dragons or something like a lot of the time they're breathing fire and it's like what are you talking about this is so weird this is one of the weirdest historical representations of an animal that I think I've seen in the whole time we've been doing this show. That is strange. Look at that. They, they're depicted as little dragons. Yeah. That's they're neat. a water animal. How <laughs> in the world? <laughs> <laughs> and that, as I said, sometimes there are just times when, you, and I love history, and, and uh, but there are times when you have to look at history and just go, okay, medieval people, I really, yeah. I don't understand, but okay, whatever. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Like, I just, I just plain don't get it. How did you get there from here? <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand. This is me not understanding. But there you go. So, salamanders yep. in history. Very weird, but cool. Very weird. Very cool. Salamander heraldry. Uh, so, hey, are you going to eat that? Are you going to eat that? Are you going to eat that? You know, I was going to eat the big ones, but then you told me that they were in trouble. So I, I have a, you know, I have a, a policy about not eating the endangered ones. Yeah. So probably not. I kind of just don't see any reason to eat a salamander of any kind, I suppose. I yeah. I mean, if you were starving and lost in the woods and you found one, then you probably should find a way to eat it because that's protein that you need to survive but right uh but i don't know i I have no idea so yeah i I mean i don't know if that's a good thing to eat when you're lost in the woods because some of them are toxic 
but would that be a big deal? I just don't know. I don't I know. Friend, I have a friend who's a lost in the woods specialist who could probably tell me, but uh, but I don't personally understand it at all. So. Yeah, and I didn't mention it, but that is another reason why the axolotls are in trouble is because they are considered a delicacy oh. in Mexico. Oh, that's not good. People want to eat them. Don't. No, I don't want to. We have many, 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 many animals that we already eat, and that's, yep. that's enough. I don't see any reason to add to the list. Yep. Not in the food box. Yeah, no, not in the food box. Not for me. Surprised that they're not for you, but I have to agree. These guys are not, not eatable. No. <laughs> <laughs> you're always surprised when I say no to something. Yeah, because your food box is enormous, so it's like, <laughs> meh. Yeah, I can, I can kind of see it, but I am surprised. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, for real, if somebody came up to you and said, Paul, I, I have this um, braised salamander. You want to try it? You would be like, nah. <laughs> what? Um, uh, you know what? I, I would. Yeah, you would. I knew you would. But in general, yeah. <laughs> I, I probably would. <laughs> Why do I feel bad about that? I don't know. I don't either. <laughs> I'm just saying, you wouldn't seek to eat them, but if somebody prepared them, then you would be like, well, I'll give them a try. <laughs> That's correct. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Paul, Donna, it's me, Toph. Is your brain a repository of useless information like mine is? Oh, boy. Of course it is. Let's help you win that next trivia night. Or just sound smarter than the rest of the room. With this, the Animal Fact of the Week. Okay, before I start talking, I have to play our little jingle about venomous and poisonous. Yes! Ooh, I don't feel too well. I'm feeling strange in the jungle. Ooh, I don't feel too well. What could it be? Could it be an animal? If it bit you on the leg, then it's venomous. If you ate it for lunch, then it's poisonous. If it bit you on the leg, then it's venomous. If you ate it for lunch, then it's poisonous. Well, it bit me, so I put it back. Call an ambulance, I've got a heart attack. Ooh. So, Donna, there is an arms race going on between garter snakes and rough-skinned newts. Oh, dear. Yes. And all salamanders, almost all salamanders, are poisonous. They all secrete poisons of varying strengths. <laughs> so the rough-skinned salamander secretes tetrodotoxin, or TTX, which is the same stuff that poison dart frogs secrete. So some newts are so poisonous that one can kill a room full of adult humans. Sometimes you might wonder why are some of the most poisonous animals in the world so small? And the answer lies in the kind of the evolutionary back and forth between that animal and the animals that prey on it. In the rough-skinned newt's case, that animal is the garter snake. So the garter snake is a very common, very harmless little snake that lives throughout North America. Garter snakes are resistant to TTX. So what that means is TTX-resistant snakes cause natural selection to favor ever more poisonous newts, and then the new and improved newts drive selection for higher resistance in snakes. It's an arms race. In several geographic locations, garter snakes have developed such an extreme resistance to TTX that the newt production of the toxin can't keep up. Scientists from Utah State University and the University of Virginia collected data measuring garter snake resistance to TTX and the toxicity of the newts that were nearby at collection spots down the west coast of North America 
from British Columbia to Central California. Right now, there is no evolutionary pressure for the snakes to develop stronger resistance. So that means the snakes win, right? Well, for now. <laughs> right. Because all that TTX resistance comes at a price. Really resistant snakes crawl slower than snakes that have little or no resistance. Uh-oh, so the stuff that eats them has a little bit of a leg up, right? Right. Ah. So if there's no advantage to a snake for being super resistant, and super resistance has an evolutionary cost, the snakes would eventually end up with a lowered resistance to the point where the newt's toxin levels would be effective again. So the war just keeps going back and forth between the newts and the garter snakes, but instead of day by day, it's like century by century, right? Right. And just as a little side note, garter snakes do themselves produce a very mild toxin. Huh. If you get bitten by a garter snake, the toxin is so mild that it doesn't really affect humans the way it affects smaller creatures like the newts. So that means that for a short period of time, after a garter snake has eaten a rough-skinned newt, it is both venomous and poisonous. Oh, wow. Well, what do you think? Do newts and sallies make good pets? They seem like they would be easy to take care of. I could be wrong, though. Do they make good pets? Well, I mean, let's go ahead and I'll just share the article with you and then we'll decide. Okay. So, I found a really cool blog post on... The Reptile Blog, which is mostly about reptiles, but they do have some stuff about some amphibians. And they have an article about newts and sallies. And this is what they say. They say the terms newt and salamander do not always correspond with taxonomic relationships. All newts may be correctly called salamanders, but generally we consider newts to be those species that spend most of their time in water and salamanders to be more terrestrial. However, the term salamander is also used for many completely aquatic animals, such as the mud puppy and the hellbender, so call them whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> as to the care of different species, this is how she says, uh, send them questions and they'll they'll give you a response. So in general, newts and salamanders are hands-off pets. Fire salamanders, tiger salamanders, rib newts, and some others are often responsive to their owners and will readily feed them from the hand. However, they should be picked up only when necessary and then only with wet hands. All amphibians have extremely delicate skin and even microscopic tears will allow harmful bacteria to enter and cause havoc. So they aren't really a you know, interactive pet as far as that is, is concerned. Also, all produce toxic secretions designed to repel predators. Several to the toxins of several North American salamanders have caused temporary blindness when rubbed into the handler's eyes and the ingestion of California newts, and apparently in some sort of college ritual, has resulted in fatalities. Severe irritations oh. are expected if these toxins find their way onto broken skin or mucous membranes. Obviously, this is a special consideration for those with young children at home. So probably right. if you have little kids, not a good choice. Well cared for newts and salamanders will reward you by exhibiting fascinating behaviors, but not if you disturb them with unnecessarily handling. Newts and salamanders absorb water through their skin, and along with that water comes associated pollutants. The most common of these is ammonia, which is excreted with the waste products. Most newts and salamanders are as or even more sensitive to water quality than tropical fish, since they absorb water over a greater surface area. 
Ammonia test kits, partial water changes, and strong filtration are critical to the success in keeping these amphibians. Substrate needs to have the same attention as does water, and terrestrial species can be poisoned by ammonia-soaked moss or soil. They need a varied diet. No species will thrive long-term on a diet composed solely of crickets. Earthworms can be used as a dietary staple for most newts and salamanders, but it would be wise to locate a source and perhaps set up a colony before purchasing your pet. Huh. Many newts and salamanders are heat sensitive, so average household temperatures are too warm for the vast majority of newts and sallies. Even those native to seasonally hot regions, such as the spotted and marble, marbled sally of the American Southwest or North Africa's fire salamanders, live in cool microhabitats, often below ground. Sustained temperatures above 75 degrees Fahrenheit and for many above 70 degrees Fahrenheit weaken the immune system and increase susceptibility to bacterial and fungal infections. A cool basement is the ideal location for most species. If you must keep your pets in a warm room, several of the more tolerant newts should be considered. So they also talk about the it doesn't do anything factor. So ideally, the new amphibian owner will be interested in his or her pet for their own sake. Um, most of us also wish to see how it lives, what it does, and so on. Many amphibians are about as active as the infamous pet rock. If you favor an active pet, consider a diurnal newt that forages rather than ambushes its food and keep it in a large naturalistic aquarium. Six fire-bellied newts in a well-planted 20-gallon tank will provide you with infinitely more to observe than will an equal number of marbled salamanders housed in a terrarium of the same size. Some nocturnal species must adjust to daytime schedules once they settle into their new homes. Tiger and fire salamanders are especially accommodating in this regard. Red night viewing bulbs will greatly increase your ability to observe slimy salamanders and other strictly nocturnal species. So, after sort of considering all of the things that go into salamander keeping, I would say not a good pet. No. Too much work, too little payback, unless you're just really, really interested in that particular animal, you know? Yeah. yeah. You really have to be devoted to that animal to want to go through that much trouble to take care of them. Yeah, because they're not going to notice that you're alive for the most part, and uh, so it's not going to be an interactive thing. It's going to be mostly right. observational and making sure they're healthy and happy and just enjoying seeing them having good lives. Right. I would say that if you want to go look at salamanders go to your local aquarium or go to your local zoo yeah. they might have a little section of the zoo where they have some little aquatic creatures and i've i've seen them in aquariums before where they have salamanders just go look at them there and and look at their little smiling faces and then go home to your pet who is much easier to take care of yeah exactly and it, it's easier to screw up with an animal like this yes and, and end up with a dead animal and just feel really bad yeah so. I've been through a mass animal death die-off with our goldfish with an accident, which I talked about on our goldfish episode, and believe me, that is not a good feeling, so... New. No. Oh, it's, it's very sad when that happens. So, I would say if you want to do pet salamanders, you should probably start with some other sort of a amphibian first, so you can learn how to handle aquatic environments and keep that water clean and keep the habitat interesting and... You know, really, really learn on an easier amphibian. Go to your pet store and find out which one is easier. Very cool. Yeah. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to this podcast. We do appreciate it. 
This podcast has been brought to you with technical support by Matthew Chomo, bed music by Kevin McLeod. Our logo was created by Imran Javed. Our vocal talent today was Carrie McGinnis, Chris Brayton, Josh Hallmark, Chris Green, Jennifer Chomo, and Stacy and Frosty. All right, now it's time for the Rugrat Corner. If you have a Rugrat eight years of age or younger who wants to be on our podcast, send us a message on Facebook or email us at varmintspodcast at gmail.com for details. We make it super easy for you and your Rugrat to hear the voice, their voice on the podcast. So who do we got now? Who's our Rugrat? This week it is Carter. Carter has something to say about salamanders. Excellent. Salamanders are carnivores. Oh, what does that mean? It means they eat meat. Like, well, but what's meat for a salamander? Like Meat for a salamander. Do they eat, like, bears? Meat, or <laughs> Meat for a salam- salamander would be snails, slugs, and other small pl- prey. Like uh, worms and stuff? Yes. Hmm. That's kind of gross. It's kind of gross. Well, I mean, I guess it's Most- good. Most of the things that live underground. Oh, underground. Got it. Um, can they hear you? What are... <laughs> they'll hear you when you're on the podcast. We can yeah. hear you. We can hear you, bud. What are... Would you eat a salamander? I would not eat a salamander <laughs> because they're super slimy. They are slimy. Yeah. But they have kind of cool colors, right? Yes. That's cool. <laughs> um, any other trivia you know about salamanders? Yeah, they are a family of newts, though. They're, a newt is a kind of salamander, right? Yeah. yeah. Thanks. And the newt is a kind of salamander. Oh, yeah. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, Carter. Yep, he, his pointing out that they are slimy is another thing, but, you know, going we might have to just revisit the would we eat it thing. Cause I don't know if we're taking the skin toxicity seriously enough, you know what I mean? Right. Like, that seems like it's probably got to be a no for pretty much everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Poison's not fun. Yeah. Although I do like when he said that he wouldn't eat salamanders and his mom said, well, they do come in different colors. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, well, what, then. <laughs> what if it was a pink one? <laughs> so Carter's mom is Sarah. She runs the website Audible Feast, which reviews and recommends podcasts to you, the listener. And she's also the host of Podcast Brunch Club, which has interviews with podcasters, and they encourage the formation of local book clubs, except instead of books, they're podcasts. So thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Carter. That's kind of a neat idea. It's a really neat idea. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, again for listening. And until next time. Be nice to animals. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios.